Good morning, my name is Troy Duncan. I am the Director of Content for Town Square Media, and I'm so excited to be a part of this special edition of Rochester Today. Andy Brownell will join us a little later this hour, but first we're going to talk with Kim David. For nearly 45 years, Katie has been sharing the stories of Southeast Minnesota. Today, we're going to share his story. Katie, do you remember your first day on the job? I think I started doing Strictly News uh, early 80s. And my first day on the job at uh, KROC was the day Elvis Presley died. A very distinct memory because I was, I'd been hired. That was my first day on the job. And my, the boss at the time was on air. And he said, well, just watch what I do. See, learn how to run the board and you know what to do. You know what to do during breaks. And if he needs something to do, keep an eye on the wire tickers, the news wire tickers. So I, I'd go out there and check them out, come in and. All of a sudden, you know, back then it was uh, the real old news tickers where they had bells and they, ta, 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 you know, they're essentially typewriters, what they were. Yeah. And uh, I heard the, these bells going off and I go tearing in there and it was just one sentence, Elvis Presley is dead. And I'm waiting for more information to come out. There's nothing coming, nothing coming, nothing coming. And so I took that and ran in, gave it to my boss. I think we have some story, a story here he may want to get on the air. And he just casually looks at it and then he just turns white. I thought he's going to have a heart attack. How old were you at this time? Uh, let's see. I would have been, that was what, 1977 for like 23? Fresh yeah. into radio. Yeah. I was uh, two weeks out of radio school. So I went up to Brown Institute up in Minneapolis. That was, I think, about a seven or eight month course. And I had some job offers around the country, but I was from here. And I thought, you know, I grew up listening to KROC. And I thought, what an honor to come back and work here. So that was how it started. I almost got fired on that first day because my boss kept saying, I need more than this. I can't go in the air with, you know, a four or five word sentence about Elvis Presley dying. I wasn't, a, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Elvis. I knew who he was. I didn't really listen to his music, but. My boss was, and he certainly was still a pretty big figure at the time, you know, in 1977. Mm -hmm. he, I don't think he would have been at the pinnacle of his career, but he was certainly well-known. And to die suddenly like that, and then there's no news on how he died. So it was a, big, it was a pretty big thing. 1977, you don't have the luxury of the internet to start right, looking around. Right, You're just right. waiting for news to come in. Back then, there was, there was no satellite either. It was coming through the phone lines while... You were at kind of the whim of the phone company there and the network. You couldn't pick up the phone and say, can you give us some coverage on this? Because we were getting our stuff from the Associated Press. And back then there was uh, UPI, United Press. We had both. But NBC back then, they weren't doing break-ins, like breaking news. Yeah. It, it didn't happen. So day one, one of the biggest stories you're going to cover <laughs> in your career. Uh, we'll get to some of the other big stories that you've covered throughout your career here in Rochester. But I want, to, I want to rewind even further to the very beginning of Kim David. You were born in Rochester? Yeah, born here. So what was the city like at that time when you were born? Obviously much smaller. Yeah, um, a lot smaller. I mean, it's, it's amazing now. I drive around and I go, just in the past 20, 25 years, the changes are just incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, where I grew up all by uh, the... They call it Grand Park now. Back then, it was county fairgrounds. <clears throat> the uh, city airport was still there. 
they later moved it out to where it is now, but it was like maybe three, four blocks from our house. Wow. And after they relocated, we grew up playing on the old runway out there, playing in the buildings, the air tower and everything else. Uh, the church my family belonged to had its origins in the old terminal at that former airport. What a fun time for a kid. <laughs> Mayo Clinic, had, you know, for a long time, IBM was a bigger employer in town. You look, you look now, Mayo has what, like 30,000 employees, I think, that work in the downtown. Yeah, maybe close to 40. And they were like maybe a couple thousand, you know, during a lot of this time. IBM was uh, the big employer in town. And they were all by a cornfield. I mean, where IBM is now, there's nothing out there. They were surrounded by cornfields where uh, the airport is now. All of that was country. Um, where you live, that was all farm fields. I mean, this town was sat right in the middle of cornfields. Yeah. And people don't realize that. So let's talk about your childhood. You, you mentioned playing in the, the old airport hangar and stuff like yeah. that. Normal childhood, sports, all that stuff? I think so, yeah. Well, we, we did sandlot baseball. We did some football. Um, a lot of times we just jumped on our bikes and went for rides. You know, you think about that, Troy, think about that. I had two paper out, morning paper outs when I was a kid, nine, 10, 11 years old. I was up at four, four thirty in the morning. I had to go over, cover an area, maybe two, three, four miles by myself. I mean, what, there aren't any paper boys anymore, No, but I'm thinking what? Parent would ever let their kid do that. I mean, you just don't even think about that. Yeah, that's anymore. certainly been a big change. But back the then, there's no, there's no, we didn't worry about anything. You never thought about a bad guy being out there, or abductions or anything like that. And I think that's something I think this country is really misses. And I don't think we could ever go back to those times. Simpler, safer. Well, and people looked out for each other. You mm-hmm. know, if, if there are some, if we were at a friend's house screwing around and maybe doing something wrong, a parent would step in and say, Hey, you know, your kids knock it off and you go home. And today, they, you know, a lot of kids are just pretty much on their own because both parents work. My mother was an at home mom. <laughs> thank, thank goodness, because there were so many of us kids. She was baking and cooking all day long. We needed her home. How many siblings do you have? A uh, total of 11. 11? Uh, seven, seven girls and five boys. Wow. I was number two in the family. But we would, uh, you know, during, we would just, like during the summer, we'd run, we'd ride our bikes or walk over to the uh, Soldier's Field swimming pool every day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, later when we got paper. Uh, did you get afternoon. a discount? Yeah. <laughs> you bring 11 I, I kids, you get a I discount. Think, I think a lot of times we just jump the fence. <laughs> okay. But it was only a dime to get in, so it was pretty affordable. But we would come downtown on Saturdays and turn in our paper route money, and then we'd hang out downtown. Downtown back then was very vibrant. And then later, it all, all the stores here went out to Apache Mall. And then the downtown was dead for a long time. And a lot of people stopped coming down there. And then in the 80s, or some revitalization. And that's the thing. Um, it was neat to see because during the 70s, it pretty much died, you know, downtown. The 80s kind of came back, and there was another slow period. And then when the DMC came along here several years ago, I think, I think the changes we're seeing now are here permanently. I don't, they won't let this thing go dead now because there's so much money invested that it's, it's impossible. It's even over the last five years, how much the downtown area has changed. Well, if you just, you know, anybody who's been here even 20 years, just take the time someday, jump in your car and drive around the, the peripheral of the city. I mean, there are times I drive around now, I 
where did that housing development come from? And then you look at all these apartment buildings going up. Who are these people? Mm-hmm. When we were growing up, there were hardly any apartment buildings. Everybody had a house. And now you see what's going on. I mean, I don't know how many apartments we have in town, but I'm sure it's either about the same or even more than single-family homes. And that's a big transition. Where did you go to school in town? I went to St. Francis for uh, eight years. And then uh, our parents, when we got to that point where in ninth grade, you'd either go to Lourdes, you know, the Catholic high school or public school. We had the choice. And because by then, most of my friends were in the public schools, I decided to go public. So ninth grade was at the former central school where the, where St. John's is now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mayo High School was uh, where I did my high school years. At what point in your life do you start thinking about radio or news? I, I did news. Uh, I mean, I've been writing since I could write. I, I used to write like short stories and poems. And I got oh, you have sc- to bring in a poem one day for us to read. Yeah. As uh, <laughs> when I got into high school, I started working on. Well, even before that, we worked on different projects like in uh, at St. Francis, even at, at Central, but it became more formalized when at Mayo High School, I got on the school newspaper. Okay. And ended up helping write that. So I always had an interest in writing. That was always my goal. In fact, when I signed up to go in the Navy, I put in for journalism school and they said, okay. And then the day I go in, the day I'm being sworn in to officially join the Navy, they go, we lost your paperwork. Oh, no. <laughs> so they just sent me wherever they wanted to send me, which turned out to be a, a blessing because I ended up doing things I never dreamed I would do. Let's talk about that experience a little bit. So you joined the Navy right out of high school? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. About a month after. And where yeah. do you get sent to? Where do you get shipped Went off? to San Diego for boot camp. Okay. And then because I had no assignment coming in, they said, well, where, where do you want to go? I said, well, send me over to Vietnam. The Vietnam War was still going on. Mm-hmm. And so they- What year put, was this? That would have been 1972. Okay. So they sent me over there and uh, I, they put me on an old ship over there. We ran, <clears throat> I was part of that. They were, the war was still going on, but we were at sea, so we didn't see much. Well, all we did was supply <clears throat> like the bombs and things like that for the, for the guys on, on land that were doing the battle, but- I was over there for five months. I don't ever forget on my, it was on my birthday. They announced the peace fire had been, or ceasefire had been worked out. It wasn't over, but they announced the ceasefire. And then we were busy for like, I think a week or two trying to wrap things up. And then we came ashore and. What are your actual duties on the ship? Oh man, I drove the ship. I'm a security guard. You I drove the ship? Oh yeah. That's pretty That's what we neat. called it, you know. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was a fireman. I was uh, yeah. They they pretty much gave you tons of things to do. I ended up getting into what they called a boats and mate, which is probably the longest tenured position in the Navy because they do everything. From Vietnam, where do you go from there? Are you stationed somewhere else? <laughs> no, I, I was on two ships the whole time. The first one, after the war ended, they decommissioned it, which was, okay. I, I went through that process, which I found out a lot of people in the Navy never do because most of the ships they're on are, they're still there when they leave. The ship I was on, the war ended, they brought it back to California and decommissioned it, gutted it, and it was done. And they parked it out in some bay somewhere, sold it for scrap. 
So then I go, well, now where am I going? Well, that was when they signed me to this brand new ship that had just gone over there. Okay. So I went so you were still in that same region. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We were all based out there. It was, uh, they had us because we were what they called an ammunition ship. We carried, I mean, we carried tons of like bombs that the airplanes would drop. The shells that these destroyers would shoot. We had missiles. Guy told me one time, if this ship were to blow up, it would blow a hole in the ocean. <laughs> but you never thought of that because, you know, you, you were very, you, you know, safety was number one, obviously. But the second one was called the USS Shasta. Okay. They named most of the ammunition ships after volcanoes and mountains. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. for The first one was Vesuvius. <laughs> and I'm thinking... We name these after volcanoes, like volcanoes that blow up, yeah, that <laughs> like our ship. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> and what we did, we did uh, at at sea, you do operations like with uh, other ships, carriers and destroyers. They would literally come alongside you. We'd link up and transfer bombs and oil and food to the other ship. We were what they called a replenishment ship or a supply ship. And uh, other ships would love it because... The first cargo that came over would have like 10 cases of Shasta Pop. The Shasta Pop company literally would send us thousands of cases of their pop for PR reasons. Yeah. And we said, okay. So we'd send it over to all the ships and they'd, the word spread that I think the uh, military newspaper did a big story in that one time on people love doing operations with the USS Shasta because they get free pop. What happened there on my second ship? I was up dinking around one day looking through this one beautiful room, all this equipment in there, microphones, turntables. I think, I think they had some reel-to-reels. And I asked this officer, well, what is this? It's, well, it's a radio studio. What do you mean a radio studio? Yeah, for the ship. It's, it was a brand new ship. He said, we, there's nobody on here that knows how to run it or wants to. I'll do it. So I found a couple other guys and we started doing DJ shows, playing music. We were DJs okay. on the ship. It was closed circuit throughout the, you know, went into the officers' chambers and the cafeteria and the, and, uh, you know, the birthing areas. And it got really popular. And that's when I think the bug bit me. I said, you know, this is, I've always wanted to write, but I thought I could get into this. You get my foot into radio and see where I go. So the one story I share with a lot of people is what really got my interest. And so being on the ship solidified that. But watching that movie, Play Misty for me. Clint Eastwood's this big, you know, top-tier DJ out there in California. He's got the beautiful house on the beach and a sports car, beautiful women, working this night ship, playing jazz. And they have the scene he goes into his house. Opens up the refrigerator, and the only thing in there was like a six-pack of beer. I go, that's what I want to do for a living. <laughs> this guy's got it made. <laughs> How long were you in the Navy total? I was in exactly four years. Four years? I, um, after the war, it, it, they started shutting down a lot of operations, decommissioning ships. And on my ship, people started putting in for early outs. You know, I was in there for four years, but a lot of guys were getting out they got like either a six month hardship discharge, or if you were if you enrolled in college, you could get out to go to college. Well, all these other guys beat me to it because they were in front of they were in front of me in line to get this stuff. So by the time they got to me, there was hardly anybody left, so they wouldn't let me go. So they literally made they made me stay there until that final day of my enlistment. 
they really tried hard to keep uh, me and a lot of other guys at work because we'd moved up the yeah. chain of command you and know we had a lot about of experience. The ship. And, yeah. and there were so few people left anymore. I mean, they they were offering me big bonus reenlistments, choice of duty, but I'm like, you know, I did my four years. I'm going to go home. Then I kind of had intended to go to college, but then I got this bug about radio. And a friend of mine from back home had gone through Brown Institute and we started communicating and I told him about the, what I had done on the ship. And he goes, well, why don't you go up there and talk to them and see what you think? And I go, I just didn't see me doing this radio stuff. Mm -hmm. It was fun, but I just, I go, that's not me. I'm not like Wolfman Jack. I'm not like those guys. He goes, you don't have to be, just be yourself. So I go up there and, you know, I, Got in, went through it. Like I said, I had some job offers, but ended up here, and uh, the rest was history. You know, back then, I think the industry started transitioning away from the word DJ, disc jockey, yep. to, I think, radio announcer or whatever. On-air personality. On-air personality. Yeah. And we were still playing music on KROC AM back then. And I'll never forget, the, Troy, that one night, there was a, I think it was a, the Debbie Boone song called You Light Up My Life big hit that summer and these people mostly younger girls would be calling like every five minutes to play that song even if i had just played it and we had to play certain songs like once or twice an hour or every other hour yep. and that was one well that's a power song you should play that one twice per shift and i was so sick of that song and a lot of these other songs and I said, you know, I've got to get, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> the same people calling you all the time, yelling if you're not playing their music, and then you play it, and it's just. And back then, we had a, a new staff, I think it's like four or five people. And uh, they had an opening, so I, I got in there part-time and started working like overnight. I'd prepare stuff for the morning crew. And they liked what I was doing, so they offered me a little more work, and pretty soon they had me working full-time, and then. The rest of it just uh, is history. Andy Brownell is going to be joining us in just a second. My name is Troy Duncan. I'm the director of content with Town Square Media. And to my side is Kim David, who is retiring after nearly 45 years of covering news here in Southeast Minnesota. My wife said, well, she was going to retire on this particular date. And that if I didn't retire about the same time, that she would travel around the country or the world with her friends and the hell with me. <laughs> <laughs> and since she has her own credit card, she made the decision the for you. Yes. So when did you meet your wife? I met her on an early occasion and then we started dating like in uh, 1981. Okay. So shortly after you started in radio, you started dating. she had no idea what I did for a living. I just, yeah, I work at the radio station. Okay. And, um, but a lot of her friends knew, you know, they said, well, don't you know who that is? And, da, da, da. and she didn't really care. I think a lot of people that know you know you have a strong family. Yeah. Strong marriage. Yeah. Great kids. So you start in radio in 1977. At the time, was it this building? No, we were, uh, see, originally the Gentling family owned KROC. They're, 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 the family founded the radio station and then opened up Channel 10. Back then it was KROC TV. <clears throat> one of the first TV stations around her. They're like one of the first radio stations and one of the first TV stations. And then I think it was 74, 75, the Genway family sold the TV station. But we, you know, back then it was just KROC AM. KROC FM back then was uh, like an elevator music station, automated, no people. 
And it was just, it was like reel to reels in a closet. But KLC AM was allowed to stay in the Channel 10 building until this building where now was built. We had typewriters here. I mean, typewriters, not electric, typewriters. And then we transitioned to electric typewriters. And then we transitioned to word processors. And we got our first PC. It was like, uh, you know, today, I mean, you wouldn't even bother with it. And, you know, we started doing this way before the internet. And then when the internet came along, that process, how we had to learn everything and, and, you know, make it better and wondering if anybody's reading it and, and look around today. I mean, we do things from our phones. Yeah. <laughs> Back then I had a phone that was the size of a shoebox. But you've adapted with the times. Yeah. You've grown with the times. You're doing your best work that you've ever done through this pandemic and yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, um, I think people should. Anybody that doesn't, and, yeah. you know, for news reasons, yeah, or my, my job, I had to learn, had to adapt, or you don't. But it's like that in any job. I and mean, there are a lot of people that get left behind it, but they don't keep up on stuff. I've, I've just... Maybe I'm different because I embraced it because I saw the change coming. I saw the positive things these changes can mean for us, Mm -hmm. you know, us as a station, us as an industry and for the public. I mean, Look how quickly we can share a story with the public. We Before can it was put like it on their phone you know, instantly. I know. Here's an app alert right incredible. on your phone. It's just incredible. Which is so great when there's breaking news, if there's a threat in the community or severe weather or anything like that. It's great to have that technology. It's a special edition of Rochester Today. My name is Troy Duncan. I am the director of content with Town Square Media. Andy Brownell is going to be joining us in a moment. But we're talking with Katie. We're celebrating Kim David this morning, who after nearly 45 years of covering news here in Southeast Minnesota is retiring. Katie, every radio guy has a story about the time they almost got fired. And I'm sure after 45 years, you probably have a few of those stories. Can you share one with us? We used to pull on-air tricks on our coworkers. Yeah. I mean, you did it today to be fired. In fact, I was... I almost got fired, I think, three or four different times. One of the one of the one of the ones I'll never forget, we had Bob Ryan was a news director back then. He was very well known. Started out in Channel Five, came down here, worked for KTTC. They went through some changes. We hired him over here, Strictly Radio. He was doing both for a while. And you know, he's a very sophisticated guy, very well known. He was on all these boards in town. And I did a lot of, he didn't do a lot of the writing. He was more of the the reader. <laughs> One day there's this uh, lady running for governor that year and he just couldn't stand her. But, you know, on air, he never let that known. But off here, we'd talk, you know, gosh, she's, I hope she doesn't get it and this and that. Well, she comes into town for a campaign stop. I'm out there. I cover it. I come back, cut up the audio, write up the story. He's doing this uh, noon hour newscast <laughs> and he's reading his stories. And he said, we'll be right back. We'll have a break. Why well, I rushed the story in and I'm, uh, uh, and what I had done, I, he reads the intro, plays an audio cut. Then there's an outro saying, blah, 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 blah. Well, I put in there. She also says, um, she's going to, you know, hopefully this and that. Then the last sentence was, she also announced that she's naming Bob Ryan as her campaign manager for Southeast Minnesota. You're goofing so around. I'm back out in the newsroom <laughs> thinking he's going to see that because during the commercial break, he was going to pre-read it and yeah. see it. He didn't get that far. So oh no! He gets. He gets. <laughs> she also says she's going to be making some campaign stops, and girl also announced she. And all of a sudden, you hear this dead air, and then, and I. What he's trying to do is, you know, later I found out he was trying to hold back laughter. I thought he was having a heart attack. I almost died. 
Well, my boss is in the room. He's monitoring. He hears it. He comes running out in the newsroom. What's wrong with Bob? Is he having a heart attack? Goes tearing in there. And yeah, I think that's probably the closest I ever got to being fired. But <laughs> later, Bob, you know, that was a good one. That was a good one. I said, well, just go to show Bob, even a pro like you, you need to pre-read. Yeah. <laughs> and these were people, like I said, I grew up listening to Harley Flathers had the morning show. Bernie Lusk, a big sports legend, was uh, still here. I got to know him. And, you know, you work around these guys and you learn from these guys. But then you learn, you know, they're human, just like me. Yeah. You know, they have their ins and outs, good days, bad days. And I think the thing you really learn is, what I learn is, you know, serve the public. I mean, without an audience, we don't exist. And they, they got me, I've looked at what they did in the community, how they were involved in all these organizations. And, and that kind of got me too, because on air, I was on that evening shift, so there wasn't much I could do. But when I got into news, I was kind of our, when I became news director, I said, this is our priority. We are going to connect with all that, like the city council, county board, the school board. We're going to connect with the Chamber of Commerce. We're going to connect with all these organizations. We have to keep this thing going that these guys before me started, and it started slipping as they start moving on to other things, and you know, they all started retiring or moving on. And I was so happy that we were able to do that for so many years. You know, we, we think about like Mayor Hazama. I remember he ran the Y, and he runs for mayor and makes it ends up being like probably one of the best known mayors in city history he would come in here like on the fourth of july he'd hear me on the on the radio doing news or something and he'd just come show up and you guys are working today i'm going to come in here and you know da, 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 and he'd bring us some treats and you know you just don't see a lot of that anymore you yeah. know i know times have changed but i think it was so powerful that back in the mainly through the 90s how there was really a strong sense of community you know, on the radio stations, within the city, within government. And now everything's just so, I, you know, the pandemic is to blame for some of that. But there's just been so much change in town here that I just don't think we'll ever see those days. I've told you a million times, as the team leader, I get to observe everybody's work ethic and dedication and devotion. And they don't make them like they made you. Yeah, well, like thanks, you, you thanks. are fully committed to this radio station and we're going to miss you so much. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> my, my wife just retired uh, last week and it kind of hit me. I mean, she's so, she's like just starting her retirement. And I think about all those little things I do every day. I get up, I do news from home, you know, on the, through the web and make my coffee. You have all these little habits. And I thought all these years I've been driving here to work with my thermos, my Apple, and then you get here and you see people and you chat and then you work and then you all of a sudden I'm gonna wake up and like whoa you know for forty some years been doing this and it, whoa now what it's kind of bittersweet right because you're yeah. gonna miss all of that stuff right right but you get to start all over and well and that's it you know I, I I've been telling people forever that you know when you I'm friends for here that have retired and moved on I said you still need some kind of an identity mm -hmm. right. I wanted to kind of transition out. And so Andy and I had some long talks and he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I hate because summer's when a lot of people take their vacations and mm -hmm. I go, well, I don't want to leave, you know, early summer when you have, you want to go on vacation. So maybe 
maybe I'll wait to the end of summer or maybe I'll work part time. But then he had that um, illness, you know, he was pretty sick here for about a month or so. And that kind of changed things because it changed his calendar around and finally, it just kind of got to the point. I know I chatted with you too. And I I did want to make to my anniversary date, but that would have been all summer. And I, you know, take the summer, Katie, you deserve it. Let's bring your longtime partner, Andy Brownell, into the studio now. Andy, let me start with this question because I asked KD how you took the news. And uh, he, he said you took it like a pro. Uh, but there's really no good way to prepare for losing somebody like KD who's been here forever. How When you when you guys first discussed this, what were you initially thinking? Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. What's going to happen? No, <laughs> no. I knew it was coming. Uh, KD and I have worked together for 40 years. Of course, he started before I did, and I've been here now 40, and I hate to give the number that he's been here, but I think it's around 45. Yeah. So I've essentially worked my entire career with this guy. Yeah. So the idea of not being partnered up with Kim David is... It's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had talked about it, I think, late last year because you were kind of bugging me every day, well... Oh, so have you given any thought or not? And at that point, I hadn't picked a date, but I was thinking probably in the summer of uh, this year because I think my wife at that point had already made her decision to retire at the end of May, and and she was pretty forceful about, you've got to hurry up and make up your mind on what you're going to do. Well, then you became uh, very ill. You were out of, uh, you know, you were just out of the station there for weeks. And to kind of change things because I was uh, afraid that maybe you you might not come back or that if you did, it might be like on a part-time basis. So I wasn't sure what Troy and the other, you know, what management would do. And I said, well, I am willing to, I haven't made it official yet. I'm willing to hang around through the summer to get everybody through this. But what what did management do, Katie? I think you, we got uh, down on our knees and we begged you to stay. <laughs> I think that's what we did. Well, and, and then when Andy came back and uh, was working out very well, it took, an, oh, I think, a while before he was back up to full speed. But it certainly made the decision easier. And then especially when... Troy told us that, yes, we will hire somebody else. We're not sure if they'll be here 40 years, but, and that certainly made the decision a lot easier. I'm always impressed by how well you guys work together. There's never any drama or conflict. You guys are a true team. So props to both of you. Well, thanks. I think we are a true team. We have our uh, different skill sets, I guess, or different approaches maybe a better way to describe it Mm -hmm. and we can have some pretty heated discussions about how to cover a certain story and it's really worked out well in that aspect because i think the the conflict between approaches to a story results in a a better a better way of covering a story so andy katie told us about his first day on the job elvis presley dies major story Do you remember the first big story that you covered? I'm sure Katie was there to help you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah do you remember? That. Of course. It was the, the Ron murder case. Okay. The I first was, big one. We had other ones before that. Yeah. I, and I had worked in the news department initially and then went off and spun records for a while mm-hmm. because that was the full-time gig that was available. But I was back in the news department full-time for less than a year when the Brown murders occurred. And... We could spend an entire program, and in fact, we have spent an entire program mm-hmm. talking about that case and how it shaped 
well, shaped my entire career, and I know KD had, had a big impact on you as well, and, and how and how you and I approached local news. Well, and I think over the years, we've when we revisit that story, we essentially came to an agreement that, from our perspective, that story kind of started this big change we saw here in town, where we went from this fairly quiet city that would have some problems and crimes here and there, but this one, because it drew so much national attention, and you got to remember back uh, in the late 80s, even though mail was known around the world, it wasn't like what mail is today. So when you get a crime like this to come along, and that just simply shocked everybody. And, but it also woke up a lot of people. Those who were in the news organizations back then suddenly were covering a story that, number one, it's really hard to cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so it's just awful. And then, you know, it was a drawn out story because the, he, he didn't go on trial right away. And then there was a sentencing and on and on and on. And then at about the same time, we just had this flood of uh, high profile cases, a lot of them dealing with murders. We had a, a doctor's daughter who was fatally stabbed in the foyer of their home. And that came out at the same time recovering the Brom trial and then or the Brom, the Brom case. And it just seemed like forever that we were changing how we covered stories. And, and you have to remember, all of this is being done before we had PCs, before there was an internet. And I mean, it would, I think me and I think the both of us certainly mentored and how we covered stories. But I think the, the city did, especially those involved in the news business here in town. We spent an awful lot of time at the courthouse, I'll tell you yeah, that much. Yeah. It was 1988, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's prior what, to that, I know you really came into your career with the 78 flood because that was something I didn't experience as a broadcaster. I experienced it as a resident of the city, but you had a whole different perspective of what was happening uh, when the city was devastated mm-hmm. in 78. Yeah. And, you know, then I was an announcer. I started my career here as an on-air announcer. I had the the night shift, so... I was on the air when that when that rain started, and it just never seemed to stop. And I just saw the whole story unfolding, but I was not aware because we're so busy here trying to cover what we could. I was not aware how bad that flood was until I think it was around two or three in the morning. I was finally able to get out of here and drive around town trying to see if there was anything I could report on, and that's when I saw how bad it really was. I but and then. There too, they because even though we had, I think it was a two-man news staff back then, they had a lot of us announcers running out covering stories. Run out, check this. Run out, check that. And here again, we didn't have cell phones back mm-hmm. then. We, I'm not even sure if we had a way to communicate back to the Pay station. Phone. <laughs> Pay phone. Yeah, that was about it. Yeah. And but there, there again, I I was watching how news organizations covered that story. The night it happened, and then all the aftermath, which technically went on for quite a while. So that was 78? <clears throat> yeah, July 78. What, what? Right after July 4th. July so 5th. huge storm? Yeah, it was one that came up, and it was off to the southwest of the city. one of these supercells. And, you know, back then, people weren't – we heard about weather terms and storms and things, but – here again, this is before the weather people had these computers mm-hmm. and these super radars. And it just kept building and building and where most of the rain fell, so it caused problems. It was in the in the Zumbro River. 
watershed as well as some of the other ones to the south of here. And so it just came in into the city through Bear Creek and the Zumbra River. Uh, Cascade Creek was flooding as well, but those two main ones were the ones that caused a lot, most of the damage. It's hard to describe uh, the smell. That's, yeah, that's my clearest yeah. memory of the flood is um, I, I obviously remember the high water and the damage and even cars up in trees, but that entire summer, summer the stench, the, the city just, it just stunk <laughs> from the sewage water and everything that came roaring yeah. through the city. And it took so long to wash it off. But I want to remember, uh, remind Katie of some other uh, big stories that he covered closely. So many stories. I was thinking about Ronald Reagan staying oh, here yeah. in town when uh, he oh. underwent his surgery. And then when King Hussein yeah. of Jordan made Rochester his home before his eventual death from cancer and the string of international visitors mm-hmm. that came to town and you one of the great stories I remember you covering was when Benjamin Netanyahu came to the city in the middle of a blizzard, and you had to go down to the hospital and cover that. Yeah, he, he came here because the King of Jordan was being treated, and I think it was that Methodist being treated there. So here comes Benjamin Netanyahu, the big leader of Israel, and they were friends, and he came here to meet with him, and then he held the news conference. So this is on a Sunday night in April. And all the media is there trying to cover it. And he didn't say a whole lot, but it was still a big story. But I will never forget driving home, turn on the radio and top of the hour news. They, this is when the Red River, Red River Valley flooding had started. And the, they were interviewing this guy and his wife. I mean, I'll go to my grave. Remember this. He goes, I don't believe this. I'm sandbagging in a blizzard because they have this warm up like about a week or so before the flooding. They had a huge, I think maybe a record snowpack that year in the, in the valley. And it warmed up suddenly in early April. And then they get hit with a blizzard. <laughs> so the river's flooding, they're hit with a blizzard. And that became a story, Andy, that we covered. I think we covered that story all the way into August because it was nonstop flooding for weeks. It just never ended. Grand Forks wow. was wiped out. Fargo was wiped out. And, you know, so... It, in a story like that, we learned in a hurry how to cover an ongoing story. In some ways, it's kind of like trying to cover a war. Every day, it's something different, you know. But yeah, and I'll the, never forget that, that night. All, <laughs> and that was all done by telephone calls to the mayor of Grand Forks, yeah, and, yeah. and other city officials up there, and and getting little interviews with those folks describing what was happening to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people, I don't know if people appreciate the amount of work that goes into creating even one news story. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are working your tails off behind the scenes to get that updated information to share. So props to both of you. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the biggest thing you can do in news, make sure what you're putting out is accurate. And if you're, if you're not sure, cause I mean, how many times, Andy, have we either withheld a story, decided not to go with the story, or run it, and then? But we said, you know, we've got to make sure we've got this right, especially a story oh, yeah. that affects so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a crime story or a traffic accident. I mean, we've seen there have been times when we get the information, you know, we get the wrong name, maybe the wrong hometown, maybe some wrong circumstances, and we're able to correct that. But today, where everything is digital. I mean, back then, if you did a story in the air one hour, you could make a correction. Now it's there permanently. Now it's out there for everybody to see instantly. One of my favorite stories, Katie and Andy, is 
the Olympic hockey story. The Russians are obviously favored to win. They didn't even think, I don't even think the Americans were favored to even, you know, get a bronze out of that, but somehow they did. And that experience had got me, I think, more than ever was when they're playing that, that game of the Russians, not the gold game. People forget that. They beat the Russians to go to the gold game, which I think was against Sweden, and they'd won that. But that Friday night, they're playing the Russians. And back then, it was all delayed. I think NBC or NBC, ABC, one of them, had the, had the game. They had the ability to do that because there was no the internet. Yeah, so the game is being played, yeah. I think, at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, we get a call from KSTP, who we partner with on all these sports things, hockey and whatever. And they go, hey, we have a chance to get a feed from a Canadian radio station because up there the rules are different. We're thinking about playing it here. Would you guys be interested? Oh, hell yeah, you know. But we had no idea what would happen. You're going to play it live. You're going to take I'm the- not kidding, Troy. We played the whole game live. I think it was done around 4.30, quarter to 5.00. And by then, you know, the final few minutes when you started to sense they might win this game. I mean, this a lot of the people is a Friday and they're leaving the studio or leaving the station, but this whole newsroom and studio was just packed. All the people were listening, just were and that's radio at its greatest. And right? that was the whole town, I imagine, because the word well, got yeah. out. I imagine somebody heard it and said, Oh my gosh, yeah. you don't have to wait till seven o'clock and watch this on NBC yeah, and delay. Exactly. They've got it on live right now. And so one person calls another person and then all of a sudden the whole town is We listening. had no idea till we after the game we were just, you know, everybody ah, and we started taking call- the phones just went ballistic. In fact, back then the uh <clears throat> the phone company, you know, whenever there was like we do contests sometimes. Yeah. And like the male male people would call because they're blowing out their phone picks. <laughs> when they do contests, all these male workers are calling here. But that happened there. And these people, there were people calling in crying. People, I just want to thank you for putting that game on. And I said, yeah, now you can uh, call a friend. And did you hear the game? No, I know who won. Yeah, place a bet. <laughs> place a bet with your friend because <laughs> you know the outcome. Yeah, but that was like, there again is an example of what radio can really That's do. That's a fun people, story though. You know? Like. Mm-hmm. Kind of bent the rules a little bit. You take the well, feed from Canada. And- <laughs> well, it's legit. You know, yeah. it, they had the rights and they were happy to share them with us. I'm sure today there's no way that would ever. Oh, there's so many contracts involved nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. But what a fun story. But I just, I did want to touch on, I think of all the stories I've covered and I really don't know how many I've done. Troy, we, we chatted about this earlier. Probably in the thousands. I never kept track. I have no idea. Easily in the thousands. But the one I think I remember the most and probably the one that hit me the most was there was one of the Iranian hostages came here. And I think either it was a sister or a relative worked at Lourdes High School. His name was William Keel. And I think he, he ran the status school over there. But he was in the embassy when the, when the terrorists took over or when they, whatever they were called back then. And when he... It, was, it wasn't too long after he was freed. He came here. It wasn't a, like a public meeting. It was that they invited the media over, some of the media, to come over and chat with him. And and I came away from that story like, how do you write a story like this? I'm talking to a guy who every day was in, I mean, that story created a lot of these 24-7 news operations. It created Ted Koppel and his ABC nightly program because – Every day they had an update on the negotiations and what was going on. And so to sit there and chat with him 
talked to him about his experience over there for, was it 44, 440 some days or whatever it was? 444. Yep. And how they exchanged messages inside by writing inside a roll of toilet paper. And I, I remember coming back and I had audio to cut up to be part of the story. And I'm thinking, how can I do this? How do you justify this conversation I had with, with him and to try to come back and write a 40-second story with audio? And I think, I'm sure I did, but it was like, those are the stories I think that you really you really need to, you know, back then the talk radio, I don't think really existed back then. Today, a program like that would fit in perfectly, like what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Set some time aside. Long form. Uh, long, yeah, long form story, but... That's when I think that's always been the, the closest to my heart. You, know, you wonder, will there ever be anybody else that puts in a career like this? I, I always used to tease people that would say, when are you retiring, KD? When are you retiring? Go, hey, Sid Hartman's still working. Why should I think about it? And he worked up until literally almost until he died. Yep. If it hadn't been for the pandemic, he still would be working and may even be with okay. us. You know? So then why are you retiring? I don't want to work until I'm 98 or 100. I think the pandemic. I think, Katie, I, Andy, you know, you guys have been working your, you've been working like crazy since the start of that pandemic. It seems like the news has not stopped. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, speaking of longevity, I think, uh, and I know we've talked about this over the years, Andy, how, how fortunate we really were to be in this town the time we were because the city was starting to grow up. We saw some big changes with the economy, we saw changes in the politics, saw changes, I mean, nearly every other month there was something different. But one thing that stayed the same was the, the longevity, the tenure of the people that we had contact with. I came here, we had Police Chief Mackin. He was succeeded by Pat Farrow for a while, who was here, I think, for a number of years. And then Roger Peterson comes along. You know, he comes along. And how long was he here? 20 years? And we also had our, you know, we had our connections with Roger when he was a lieutenant a detective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you look at the mayor, you know, started with Mayor Hazama, Mayor Brady, who was here for 16 years. Uh, the state administration, Steve Quenville, Gary Newman. Uh, the, you know, just we were so Dick lucky Devlin to have these the people because we, we kept them as contacts. We stayed in touch with them and. We were able to get, you know, we were able to get stories before most of the other reporters did, simply simply because of those relationships we had. That's uh, that hard. is the go ahead. And you mentioned the use the term relationship, Katie, and and when I talk to people about what we do for a living, and I I always emphasize that it's a relationship business. If the people you're talking with, the sources that you use to gain the information you need feel a level of trust that they'll be treated fairly and uh, accurately, it pays off. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. Um, <laughs> as the boss here, quote unquote, the boss, I can teach somebody to write and read on the radio. Building those relationships, yeah. and building that trust, that's the hard part. And you guys have done a great job and you've maintained that trust. Well, so now on the flip side, the past few years have been tough because of the pandemic. There was a time when I went to the courthouse and city hall every day and you stay in touch with people even if there's no news you just went over and chatted maybe had a cup of coffee how are things going pandemic comes along we're shut down and then what happens all all these longtime leaders are suddenly gone and we have all these new people and we don't have the time or the opportunity to meet all these new people 
And so all those years that we were fortunate to have those great relationships, suddenly just gone. And, you know, now I'm, last year I started thinking, well, do I take the time to start nurturing these uh, relationships with these new people? Some I did, I reached out a little bit, but in my mind I knew, you know, this would never be the same because I don't have the time to really nurture these relationships. It's so hard to be in touch with these people now because when we were growing up, I'd walk into the administrator's office, right, Quantville's office. Hey, Steve, how you doing? I walk into the police chief's office. Hey, Roger, how you doing? Now they have communications, people. You can't even, they don't even want you calling one of the elected officials without going through them. And I, I really, I mean, I totally hate that. I understand what they're going through. It's a different organization being run by different people. The town's bigger now. A lot of the cities do have that structure, but I just think it's a really a true detriment to news coverage because, I mean, I can already tell you how many, and, and there's been several times I'm trying to get a quick answer to a story I'm working on. I don't hear back from these communications people, you know, until like the next day. And at some point, you know, unless we get some longtime reporters here that do what we were able to do, I don't think news coverage will ever be the same again here in town. Kim is retiring, and certainly, I, yeah, it's a void that cannot be filled. And we're spending this hour talking about some of the news coverage that you have obviously been involved in and myself over these many, many years. And we haven't even talked about the big elephant in the room, uh, the Mayo Clinic. How much of our careers have yeah. been spent covering things yeah. that Think are about that, Andy. dealing with the Mayo Clinic? Back when they had communications people that you could just call over the, you know, just, hey, Mike, I need uh, some information on this uh, story. Huh, let me work on it. Or who's the other guy? Chris Gotti, I think, was their communications Chris, guy yes. for a while. And look at their communications department today. I mean, it's twice as big as our radio station staff. Oh. But they're a big organization. We went from this. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about that the other day. When I started covering news here, or just started working here, and then slid into the news department, the Siemens building wasn't here. Gonda certainly wasn't even here. I'm not even sure if it was a plan you had at the mail building and the plumber building. The 1914 building, the original Mayo Clinic, was still here. People today that even have been here for a while, why? And I said, yeah, they just, one day they, they just bulldozed it. Today, I'm not sure if they could even get away with that, but... It was attached to the plumber house on the north side there between uh, the plumber house and the Kaler. And I was thinking about that. And <laughs> just think if they tried to bulldoze that today to make room for the what turned out to be the Siemens building. Not sure if they could or not. Even though it was, they weren't using it. It was really, you know, it just wasn't. Historic I mean, property. What were they going to do with it? But technically, yep. technically it was kind of like the, the first Mayo Clinic. And if you had seen that building, it was majestic inside. Mm-hmm. But you was, had uh, your father was a longtime employee of the other big employer in town, IBM. And I remember as a kid, people you knew who worked at Mayo, if they weren't doctors, they worked at St. Mary's. And that was about it. But if you knew somebody who worked at IBM, they had those annual summer carnivals out there that I had some neighbors whose parents worked at IBM. So I was invited periodically and IBM was a big king in town back then, right? I mean, for years. So was IBM, IBM picnic? They called it. Yeah. Was it. Is it still the same location? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that park oh, is yeah. empty now. All oh yeah, they yeah, were kind of like fact, almost out in the country back then. They call it out in the country. Was a whole lot around IBM, it. When IBM first came to town, they were building the big blue building, and they were spread out in various locations throughout the community. Community and then consolidated as that blue building continued to be expanded. But there were times where they uh, where Cub Foods is today for our time. That was IBM. Oh, that's right. Well, that used to be another store, and then they transitioned into yeah, it was Wells. <clears throat> yeah, but IBM, I think at one point, didn't they get over eight thousand employees? And Mail at the time, I think, was maybe four or five thousand. Wow! And then they had that big split in the eighties. What was what was that? Ants? What was the name of that company? They split actually. In two. That was that didn't happen to the, it was early nineties, right? But they they spun off the disk drive business. Mm-hmm. And some other aspects of it, and then they began to gradually shrink. Yeah, yeah, and that's about the same time IBM or a male started to grow. And they, I'll never forget that story that day. Mayor Hazama making a lot of noise, saying Mayo Clinic is seriously looking at other cities in warmer states, like Florida and Arizona, putting their headquarters there. In other words, whatever we had here, that would have been it. And uh, some things are made to accommodate Mayo, and then they came through that. It was a public commitment. We're here. We're here for good. We plan to invest billions of dollars in buildings and whatever else we're going to do. And that was before DMC even came along. And that was a big relief, I know, because at the same time, IBM was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And a lot of the other businesses in town uh, really relied on Mayo to do things. Look at it today. I mean, look what it won from Andy. That, that campus had really consisted of the Plumber Building and the Mayo Building. That was technically their downtown campus. St. Mary's is still operated by the Franciscans. You know, eventually they would turn it over to Mayo. Methodist Hospital Methodist. became part of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, speaking of the DMC, that will be things that Troy and all the people behind who come after us will be covering because – I think it's it has already reshaped the city, and it will for a long time. Just but getting started. There was a there was a time there we weren't sure if there would be a DMC. They behind the scenes they were working to get to have a setup that's very similar to what Disney had down in Florida, but they technically have their own property base. They do the taxing. They do the they take care of the infrastructure. They because either for political reasons they weren't sure who would be on the city council from one year to the next. They wanted to essentially have some control over all these billions of dollars they're putting into the ground. And they wanted, that's kind of what they were seeking. But in the end, the legislature said, well, why don't we come up uh, with this plan instead? And so it is what it is. And you uh, mentioned Mayo's seeking uh, autonomy. Uh, and I do remember the, now it's, we're used to it and it's, routine but they have what's called their five-year plan mm-hmm. and prior to that every single project had to come before the city council individually and slowed this process down now they lay out every year a five-year plan and it it has what a general description of what could happen over the next five years and where mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. it gives mayo a lot of flexibility as it moves forward with its planning process also gives them a great deal of power uh, to shape the downtown because once it's included in that five-year plan, there's not much stopping it at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's in that, I think, what do they call it, a mail service district or something? There's a, yes. It's written, I think it's actually part of the uh, zoning, you know, booklet or the zoning plan here. Off air, Andy, you brought up another story that involved the Mayo Clinic. And uh, looking back on it now, it seems as if it was almost satirical when it occurred because the, the world changed and moved beyond it. But the DME Railroad oh, scandal God. issue, crisis, oh, whatever you want to call God. it. That's one of those stories you had to cover, but as it dragged on, it was like, can what? we get this story over with? What happened? Well, so the Demon E was a small railroad that really wasn't doing much. And uh, this guy by the name of Kevin Schieffer comes in to start running it. He comes up with this plan to start running coal from, was it Wyoming, Andy? Yes. Running coal from there to some ports down by Winona where the coal could go further east. Well, that meant there could have been 20, 30, maybe 40 trains an hour. A couple miles long running through town. Four blocks from the Mayo Clinic. That can create some issues. (laughs) So it did. It was, I mean, that fight made its way to Congress because, you know, the federal, uh, some federal agency was involved because it's a railroad, made its way to the state capitol. There's certainly politics here. I mean, it was nasty. There there was a plan to build this uh, route around the city, what, out by the airport, I think, Andy? And then we're gonna. South. <laughs> then there's another one. They're gonna tunnel it through town, and and that battle went on and on and on. We had our city council president at the time, good friend of yours, Dennis Hansen. He and these male leaders and others literally flew to meet with the demon E guy to see if they could work something out. And just crazy. That's it. Was one of those stories. You're just like, have we had enough of this story yet? And then in and the end, uh, the with, coal market went south, and uh, that was the end of it. Yeah, and the Canadian Pacific Railway came in and bought the DM&E, and Mr. Schieffer made a healthy profit off of his proposition, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He, he played his cards well. Yeah, <laughs> okay. but that was, uh, yeah, what a story. Almost, almost as much as uh, what we went through in the formation of the federal prison where it went from, used to be a state hospital out there for people who don't know. It was shut down, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, the federal prison system, hey, we can uh, put up a federal medical center out there. Yeah, half the town, I think, was opposed, the other half, four, or somewhere in between. But, you know, people who, even a lot of people who were hardline opponents back then, today would say, you know, you don't even know what's out there anymore. No. And it was certainly a big boon to the economy, and it came at a a good time because the— I think that was about the time IBM started making changes too. So, but that, yeah, was, that, also, was, that was a big story. And uh, if you recall, it was the city council also actually voted <laughs> to uh, pass a resolution uh, opposing the location of the prison. And it was Mayor Chuck Izama who stepped in with a veto of that resolution. That was very controversial as well. But I'll never forget it was at the county board meeting because the county got the property for $1. And it consisted of this huge campus with some buildings, some of that were still pretty good shape. And I'll never forget when that guy from the federal prison system came to the county board to make the purchase official. And I think it was like $15 million, I think. He, he hands it over, the check. And I'm sitting there like 10 feet away from this guy. A $15 million check. So immediately, somebody from the county, one of the county workers, 
took the after they approved it and everything, jumped in the car and rushed up to wherever bank they I think they were in the cities where they could immediately deposit it because all the interest. On yeah, make sure that doesn't bounce. <laughs> yeah, make oh, sure yeah. it doesn't bounce. <laughs> Well, well, or, you know, the county board might change their mind. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, that goodness. was a big story as well. And, uh, you know, it's one of those stories that, you know, people, not, in, unless you were here back then, no idea on the history of that prison. And look how it turned out. Kim, I've got to ask you about this. You and I have, we have, we've seen a lot over the last four decades or so in your case. Maybe, could you reflect for us on what you've seen as far as, the media and news coverage and where we were and where we are today. When I started here, I think we had a five person news department. I know that just blows people away today, but you have to remember back then there was no internet radio was still a pretty powerful force. I mean, we were just, it was just KROC AM back then. And then, you know, the competition in town, KROC FM, when I started here, was an automated station that played some garbage music. And then, you know, a few years later, <laughs> it went live. But even on there, one of their emphasis was local news. I actually did news in the mornings on uh, both the, on KROC FM. I do the morning show, the morning news, and, and then the afternoon because my afternoon shift on KROC AM would allow me to wander over to the FM station to do news there. But, um, <laughs> Back to my early years, I didn't cover a ton of news because these other reporters were going to the city council meetings and so on. But two of them had such a really, I mean, really emphasized to me the importance of local news and getting to know people. One was Bob Dennis, and he would take me to, he was the one that showed me how to make the rounds in the courthouse, which turned out to be, I mean, you know as well as I do, Andy, how important it is having access to those court cases and trials and and the people involved in that system, it's so important because you're on top of everything from the minute that story begins until it ends. Um, Bob Ryan worked here for a few years. He was a legend. I really wasn't a TV guy. I was out of the state during his uh, primetime years up there. He worked at KSTP TV and then came down to KROC TV, worked there a number of years. And he was also doing news on the radio and then when KROC Radio split from the TV station, he came with KROC AM. So I was able to work with him. And, then, you know, you talk about a legend. I mean, this guy was huge. And I learned a number of things from him. And one thing, same thing, he said, the best thing you can ever do is make contacts and keep them. And don't ever run a story on somebody unless you're absolutely sure of the facts. There were times I'd write up a story, and he before he went on air, he'd call me. Are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? And yeah, Bob, this is this is the real thing. You know, I did my homework on it, and, and okay, okay. But and then over the years, we slowly transitioned. I became news director, and I think it was 1986. And were you in the news department then? I'm trying to think back because we had so many other people who came and went over the years. But I think I think you're doing both. You were still doing some announcing. And then I think news coverage as well, but then we started working together over the years and yeah, but what a transition going from, we had the wire service, they would literally the teletypes that, you know, you, you hear about in old movies to um, the beginnings of the internet where it wasn't a whole lot, but it was something to live coverage. Thanks to cell phones. 
My first, our first mobile phone was about as big as a small TV. It was, you know, weighed about six pounds and I think it had a battery life of maybe 30 minutes. We had what was called uh, Marty's. They were like shortwave transmitters. We could take to sites if you're going to be there for an extended period, but that was a lot of work to set up and work with. We also always seemed to have a number of engineers here. So if we had problems, <laughs> they were on top of them. That was huge for us because we were, back then we still had reel-to-reels. We're recording all our interviews we'd record and keep, and then we'd have to splice them up. And, and that's one area where I can definitely say, I was so happy with the digital transformation. <laughs> I was not good at splicing tape. And I I was good at cutting up audio, but when it came to that splicing stuff, yeah. but it was it was so much work that the things we did and a lot of the audio cuts we would I mean, I'd go to an interview for an hour or a press conference, have to come back, go through the, all this audio to see what I want to take out, cut up and put in my story. You have to keep it short because the stories are short. That's the thing I don't think people realize, how much work goes into a story. And then you might only run it once or twice. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, boy, that's a big investment for, you know, I mean, two hours worth of work for a story that gets aired maybe twice. But that's that's what it was. There were times when I think we were required to do so many stories and audio pieces every day. If you, I know you remember that, Andy, because I do. We had a guy who mandated that, and we looked at each other like, "Is this guy crazy?" Well, I think it turned out he was. He was an era <laughs> for a long. <laughs> so that was, I mean, the hope going back to like you said, started from typewriters to what we have today, reading off screens. Everything's digital. Zoom, Microsoft Teams. Oh, it's just we're just so fortunate. I think that. Andy, you're always the slick one on the technical side. I mean, I'd I'd always struggle with a new program we'd get or a new whatever, and you'd you'd always had it figured out. And I remember all the times I had to call you at home, call you on weekends. Andy, what about this? What about that? And then <laughs> eventually we perfected it, and you know we are what we are today. But yeah, it was uh, it's it's hard. It's just hard for me to look back over all these years. And really go back to those early days when I was in my early 20s working for a lot of people that were in the business for a long time. And the radio business back then, like I said, was huge. I mean, it was a very, it was a very profound piece of media. It was so nice to see that, you know, even today with our current owner, Town Square, how they're dedicated to covering local news. And that's hopefully our audience appreciates that. They may not know it, but it's a big commitment that it's one of the only media companies out there that are investing in local talent to, to create that local content. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look around the market, Andy, there, remember there, there were two other radio stations in town that we, we competed with for on air news. Plus the television stations and the TV stations and the paper and, and and before digital, before the internet. I mean, it was a very competitive market for a town whose population was maybe a 10th, maybe of the Metro, you know, when we started, when I started, I think the population was around seventy-five, eighty thousand, maybe. I but don't even know of, if it was that high when you started. It may, yeah, eh, I, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure. I was going to say more in the fifties or sixties, but it gets hazy that far back. Oh, I know. It's look how much this town has grown. Andy, I'm going to let you wrap us up in a second. Katie, you can you can have the last words and say goodbye to everybody. But I, I want to know, like, what's next? What are you going to do with your free time? 
No idea. I had uh, my wife and I are going to make a list of projects around the house we want to get done, and then I don't know. I've uh, my entire life, I've been trying to write a book, a book of fiction. All these years, I've had the. I've never put down. I put down notes here and there, but I've never put down a a true draft form or even an outline of what I want to do. It's all in my head. And I promised my wife that I won't be getting up at 2.30 in the morning, but I do plan on getting up early in the morning before the sun is up and start working on that book. My goal is to try to have it done in a year. If it never gets published, I won't care. At least I wrote it and I'm done with it. Well, if you need to advertise it, we'll sell you some commercials. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I know. I got to have Andy interview me. Yeah, there you go. Hey, come back in about a year. I, from my heart, I really, really hope that as long as, you know, Troy, you've been a good supporter. We've always had really good support from management here. We went through some big changes, you know, in my career here. I just really, really hope that um, what we offer this community for news coverage continues because the people that turn us on every day for either sports, weather, news, or whatever, you know, it's so good to have somebody there and on our websites making sure we are always up to date on the news. And mm-hmm. at least what I see today, I feel very, very good about when I walk out the door that final time. I think we got it covered. Uh, I have one more story to publish on our website, and that would be my final story, not so much a news story. It's just kind of a wrap on the 45 years I spent working microphones for News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Sitting in the studio with me is a, a voice that you've uh, perhaps have heard here over the past several days, T.J. TJ Leverance. He's picked up very, very quickly. I feel absolutely confident that he won't miss a beat. Well, maybe a step or two <laughs> here or there, but over time, I think he will easily fill in and take over this uh, seat and this microphone and this control board and everything else that I've been using all of these years. TJ, it's real, and I mean this, it's so good to have you here. Uh, well, Katie, first... If they would have brought somebody else in that was just like, <laughs> oh, I'd have to stay here like another month. Yeah, so no, we don't want so that. easy. 45's enough. Um, well, Katie, first of all, it's odd because you and I have been working together for less than two weeks. I think it was two weeks ago from tomorrow that I first met you. But I feel as though I've known you for years and i mean 45 years you've been here you're an absolute legend in this business legend in this community and and for you to say that just just means a world to me so making me blush Uh i don't like all this good thing good thing the same tv thanks no i really am i there was one of the concerns i expressed to management you know i said we've got to make sure we get somebody in this continuous thing that i inherited when i got here no don't worry don't worry and i was so happy when you came in and after working with you i'm just absolutely confident that you know you take care of the business like uh they expect you to do and you're expecting to do uh tj what's the tj uh so it's thomas jacob is what it stands for my dad's a thomas john so Tommy John, I, Tommy John, Tommy John. So I, I think my parents didn't want to do the junior or the second thing. So they were like, let's just give him a different middle name and, and call him TJ. So you worked at a radio station, was it KWNO? Yep, KWNO in How Winona. long were you there? Uh, I was there for just over four years. Started as kind of a part-time fill-in Swiss Army knife guy, and then the opportunity came in. So, Like I said, I'm, I'm totally confident that things would just carry on seamlessly. Uh, the way they've been here for all these years. Yeah, it's it's an honor for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
So officially, I will not be doing any more news here unless maybe, you know, who knows? If somebody somewhere thinks I'm a free agent, mm. huh? There's they always <laughs> there's already some freelance Kim David work rumors floating around the building here, yeah, so yeah, can't rule it out. But the the plan now, anyway, is that uh, this is it. The last time I, I will be on here as an employee of a News Talk 1340 KROC AM 96.9 FM and Town Square Media. We're gonna miss you badly. <laughs> hey, and I'm not going anywhere. You know, you guys, yeah. you know, you feel free to call me. Uh, you know, just. <laughs> Just Andy. don't call me on weekends. Andy says that because he knows he's got to pick up the slack now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Let's see if I can get to 45 years. That'll be the goal. It's been a joy working with you all these decades. And, uh, of course, we'll we'll stay in touch. I hope you stay in touch with everybody. Oh, yeah. All right, Katie, it's time to wrap up your nearly 45-year career here in Rochester, a truly legendary career. You have no idea the impact you've made on so many people not only your listeners and the people that read our articles on our website, but your coworkers as well. You've been a great coworker, and uh, we'll give you the last word. This is my farewell, my big sign off, and uh, I think of uh, all the changes we went through, the city, uh, all the different politicians I met over the years, all the all the many many crime stories we've covered. There's also been a ton of good news stories. Somehow I survived. All these years, there were layoffs of people that I've worked closely with. Uh, we had layoffs. We had people who fired, people who left. And somehow Andy and I survived all of that. And I, I'm thinking, well, either it's because they don't pay us a lot and we're affordable or we're working so hard and what we're doing is so important. They want to keep us around. And apparently they did all these years. And, you know, I, I just want to make this clear because a lot of times over the years, I guess I've never seen myself as a, like a, you know, whatever. I, I'm always in the moment. I, I don't really don't look back. Uh, there's some talk about, you know, like some of the people who left, there's been the, the post bulletin of the TV stations, the new stories on that. I don't want that. I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'll stay in touch with you guys, but my email will be gone. My key fob will be gone. I'll have to meet you guys in the parking lot. But I just look back and say, whatever. I was able to do my career here. I just hope it, it, it was a benefit to a lot of people because that's all I ever really wanted. To those of you who've been listening many of these years, maybe all of those years, that's a big thank you because without you, certainly none of this could have happened.